hey, we're in the book of Revelation. We're doing the church of Thyatira. Now, remember that these churches existed at the time of John, and they've existed throughout time. And you're going to have a couple pictures on here. I'll give you Arnold Fruchtenbaum's picture in a few minutes, not yet. And I'll give you the other picture of the time thing about the the time lapse of, of these churches as they come around. But I want you to also think about this. These churches exist today. There's, there, is a, there, is a, there is a church that has lost their first love. There is a church that is persecuted throughout our world. There's a compromised church. There's a corrupt church. There's a dead church. The church of Sardis is a dead church. And there's a church of Philadelphia that exists today in this world, a true church, and it is a remnant church. It is not a lot of people. And the church of Laodicea is the prominent one that exists today, the church of apostasy that is giving ground and giving ground to the world. Jesus is writing a letter to us, his church, his people, to tell us what's going to come and to tell us the things that he likes about his churches and the things that he doesn't like about his churches. So if you would, stand for reading of God's word. We're in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, you have not known the depths of Satan, as they, as they say. I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the Word of God. Father, I thank you for your Word. Thank you, Father, that at this time, this epoch of time, as we are going through so much turmoil, you are revealing to us things to expect in our future. We are not to be shocked, and we are not to be surprised, and we are not to walk around in fear, because you have warned us that these things are going to happen. Help us to walk in your strength. Help us to walk with your purpose. Help us to be your representatives while we are here. This is a great time to be alive. We are seeing these things unfold right before our eyes. Thank you for the privilege of being in your family, and thank you for allowing us to study your word, the precious, inerrant word of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, last week we talked about the church of Pergamos. Remember, it was a compromised church. It was the church that was married to the state. It was mixing pagan practices with Christianity. They had two main problems in that church. One was the Balaam problem, and one was the Nicolaitan problem. Remember the Balaam problem? It was the false prophet Balaam was asked by Balak, the king of Moab, to put four curses on the nation of Israel. And four times he tried to curse Israel, 
And four times he blessed Israel because the God of heaven intervened and he could not speak against God. Now, let me ask you, who is in charge? God is in charge. Who is sovereign? God is sovereign. Make no mistake about that. The, the, but what Balaam did do, because he could not curse the people, he encouraged the, the men to intermarry with the women of Moab. And by doing that, they started to worship the false gods of Moab. So what he couldn't accomplish uh, by cursing them, he accomplished by deception. So the church intermarried with, or they intermarried with the, with the women of Moab. Now the problem with the Balaam problem that Pergamus had, they were intermarrying with the world. Now the Nicolaitan problems is a clergy hierarchy that developed in the early church, and that is actually promoted today, where the, where the pastor, teacher, pope, priest, whoever it might be, is the king, and everybody else are the serfs. And you do exactly what the pastor says, or what the pope says, or what whoever the person in charge says. And what does Jesus feel about this? He hated this. He hated this. The church at Ephesus stood against this, but see how the deterioration came over time. Now this church embraces it and thinks it's great, and Jesus says, I hate this. Now Jesus said the word hate. Now today, would Jesus be politically correct? No. Would Jesus be intolerant today? Yes, he would. He would be intolerant because he, he, he addressed sin for what it was. So God's cry to this church, this compromised church of Pergamos, was repent. That's what he always says, repent. Now, I want you to think about something. True repentance, this will come up on the board, true repentance encompasses two things. Number one, it is a change of mind. Now, you know what repentance is, is metanoia. It's the changing the way I think about myself in relationship to my God. I'm going in one direction, and I'm turning in another direction, and I'm going towards God. That is number one. But number two, there's a change of action, a change of life. True repentance is, isn't just a word spoken. It is, a, it is something that, that I embrace totally. I'm going towards God, and it's going to affect the way that I live. It's going to affect my actions. It's going to affect who I am as a person. Now, uh, the church of... I want to give you this before we move on any farther. Arnold Fruchtenbaum's thing here. I just... The church... The church age, is, this is so dynamic. Jesus came. The law was replaced by salvation. By It's always been salvation by grace through faith. But the law was an Old Testament concept. The New Testament concept is we follow Jesus Christ. He established his churches. These seven churches, again, exist today. And I would want to remind you that in your life, in your life, you have probably progressed. Remember, the church is not a a structure or a, a building. The church is people, and you are people, and it is possible that you have had times where you lost your first love. You have times when you were persecuted or compromised or corrupt, or you're dead in your spirit, and just, just so, where are you, God? And then you were the church of Philadelphia, where you filled with the Holy Spirit, and maybe you were overcome by the Holy Spirit, and you had a wonderful time where you were just progressing in your faith, and then there's this awful situation here, the church of apostasy, where so many people start out strong and then fizzle away. Fizzle away and aren't really truly in the faith. It is so sad. It is so sad. So with that, uh, back to Pergamos. God's promise to overcomers were three. Remember the hidden manna? 
So manna was provided to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel in the wilderness. The manna was their sustenance. We today, our manna, we feed on the word of God. When we are being bombarded 24-7 with information that is counter to God, we must be taking in this word in order to overcome what the world is throwing at us. So that is the hidden manna. Then they were given a white stone, which meant they weren't guilty. They were proven beyond a doubt. And remember, privilege in the kingdom. And I suggested to you that maybe the privilege in the kingdom would give you access to different things depending upon your faithfulness to Christ. Because remember, he's a rewarder. At the Bema Seat Judgment, we're going to re- receive rewards and loss of rewards. And maybe this, this, this white stone would allow you to go to places that would be unique for you because you've been so faithful to God. And then a new name, a new identity, a new affection, expressing a new destiny for you. So this week, the church of Thyatira, the corrupt church, and remember, it, the compromised church, the compromised church will we, the compromise will weaken a church, but corruption will destroy a church. Compromise will weaken the church, but corruption will destroy the church. It's a shortfall from compromise to corrupt to all-out apostasy. The church of Thyatira was a church of the dark ages, 600 to 1517. 15, now, we'll go through this again. The location of the churches. I want this indelibly imprinted in your mind. Again, they're located in a way, kind of in a clockwise manner, indicating the passage of time. This was the start of the church, and as time progressed, the church actually deteriorated, although this one was an outlier. This one was the Church of Philadelphia, which was the outstanding church, which everybody thinks they're the Church of Philadelphia. You go to every church around the state, around the country, we're the Philadelphians, okay? But the Philadelphians really are a remnant church now. There's a few that really hold on the truths of Christ. The majority have blended with the world, have taken on the characteristics of the world and look more and more like the world than like the church that Jesus started. So the destination and the meaning. The destination and the meaning and the description of Jesus is in verse 18. And they all start out this way and they'll all be covered this way as we go through the study. And to the angel in the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Remember, every church, Jesus is telling them something from, from Revelation chapter 1 about the glorified Jesus and how it applies to that specific group of believers. So the destination is, of course, the, the pastor of this church and its congregation. Remember, God wants you to know. It's not a mystery wrapped up in a riddle. It's not an enigma, a mystery. It is God wants us to know what is coming, what he likes in his church, what he dislikes in his church. Thyatira means sacrifice, continual sacrifice, perfunctory sacrifice, ritualistic sacrifice, doing something over and over and over as a religious motion, but not having a lot of heart behind it. Now, what was Thyatira like? Well, it was a small, church, a small town located about 40 miles uh, from Pergamos. Now, notice there's a distance between these churches. So you don't, in those days, if you were in that church, you were stuck in that church. That was the only Christian church you could go to. So you didn't say, hey, I don't like what these guys are teaching and move on to another church. There wasn't any options. There wasn't any options. It's not like today. We know that Lydia had some impact there. They were, they were known for their, for their purple dyes and cloth, and Lydia was known for her purple dyes and cloth. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, in his book, Footsteps of Messiah, says this. It gives us some insights into this church. Quote, 
in the historical prophetic historical prophetic interpretation, it becomes a fitting description of the Church of the Dark Ages as embodied in the Roman Catholic doctrine of the continual sacrifice in the Mass. Fruchtenbaum goes on to say, in Roman Catholic theology, when the priest consecrates the wafer and the cup, they are said to become the real body and the real blood of Christ. This is transubstantiation. Long word for that. And, he, and so he is re-sacrificed over and over. The laity were given only the wafer and were refused the cup because the belief that the real blood might be accidentally spilled. The cup was for the clergy alone. Can you see the Nicolaitan thing there? The clergy alone. Thus the distinction between the clergy and the laity begun by the Nicolaitans had come to complete fruition. It come to completeness. This is what the situation is in Thyatira. A lot of ritual a lot of going through the motions, but really distance from God. Now, the description of Jesus is, is in verse 18, taken from Revelation 14, 1, 14 and 15, says this, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Christ is pictured here as the judge, as the righteous judge, knowing all things, and he can ferret out every evil. He sees right into our souls. Nothing is hidden from God. Jesus' eyes pierce into our souls. Jesus sees clearly what each one of us are all about. See, we put on a facade. We put on a picture. We put on a picture of what we want people to, 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 to think we are. He sees exactly what we are. He sees right through us. Now, look, you may fool people, and you may fool yourself, but you are never going to fool Jesus Christ. He sees everything. He sees everything. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. And then thirdly, uh, most people, have, how do you like this one? Most people have no problem with a loving Jesus. Would you agree with that? Jesus is loving. We're doing everything out of love, out of love. But they have a huge problem with a judging Jesus, with a Jesus, Jesus that demands that we obey him. And actually, our obedience to him demonstrates that we love him. And we went through several verses last week that demonstrated that. So, this is judgment. Eyes blazing, penetrates into the church, knows exactly what we're all about. Now, think about this. This church was known for going through the motion sacrifice, going through the motions. And I want you to also think about this. Sacrifice is not a substitute for genuine worship. Sacrifice is not a substitute for genuine worship. The nation of Israel was guilty of this. And if there's anything that we should learn as people is, is to not repeat what many of the things that the nation of Israel did. In Isaiah chapter 1, we have been here before. This will be a review for most of you. But in verse 1-4, God is going to tell us how he feels about this nation and how he feels about their sacrifices that are just done in a ritualistic, perfunctory manner. Verse 4, alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. See, they thought they were great. They thought that they had everything in order. They're, they're trying to follow the law, and they think everybody else around them, all the Gentiles are dogs, all the goys are dogs, they are, are worthless. And God is condemning them because they have worshipped him inappropriately. 
a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. Does God get mad? Does he have emotions? Does he? Yes, he does. They have turned away backward. Now notice what they have done. Verse 11, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? See, they're going through the motions. They're going through their religious stuff. Week after week, feast after feast, they're going through the motions, but they have a divided heart. I have enough of your burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lamb of lamb or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my court? See how he, he views this? People who are doing a religious thing, but no heart for God? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts. See, they were, these were the feasts of God. But now he says, these are yours. You usurped them. You've taken them from me. You have become the focus and not me. My soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm a weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands... When you try to pray to me, what does he say? I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. God is not in to ritualistic sacrifice. He is after the heart, the heart of a person. Worship is the Anglo-Saxon, we've done this many times too, so you should have this at the tip of your tongue, worth-ship. Worthship, worthy of honor, reverence, worthiness. Hear the psalmist David in Psalm 40, verse 6. Hear what he says about this. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Oh, I know the truth, says David. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not require. And then the question must be then, God, what do you require? What do you really want? And we're going to see that in, in Psalm 40, verse 8. He says this, I delight to do your will. Now, let's just stop right there. How many people really, even the people of God, delight to do the will of God? Just, just are all, all about that. Now, we are going to say, yes, I delight to do But how do we actually carry that out in our lives? I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. It's meaningful to me. Your commands are meaningful to me. What does God really want to do his will? He wants obedience. He wants us to obey him. Remember 1 Samuel, Samuel 15, 22? To obey is better than to sacrifice. To obey is better than to sacrifice. In other words, I can't just go around and do my thing and think that I'm going to do some religious sacrifice and I'm going to be okay. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Remember, obedience precedes blessings. Obedience precedes blessings. Proverbs 15, 8 says this. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to God, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. God desires that we worship in how? In spirit and in truth. That's right. John 4.23. Now, there's a commendation that he gives us church. This is something the church did well. We see it in verse 19. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. In other words, your works are more and more and more. And they were working, and he was, they were doing things for God. 
They look good on the outside, but it doesn't mean that they're good on the inside. Now, this church did a lot of good things. Out of this church came hospitals, orphanages, services to the poor. They did a lot of good works. Works are important. They demonstrate that we really belong to God. They don't get us saved. They don't ingratiate us more to God. God loves you as much as he's ever going to love you the moment you say yes to him. But our works demonstrate that we truly belong to him. True worship is, more, is, is, is important. True worship is more important than our works. Worship always precedes works. The external appearance of this church was positive. They received, I imagine, the applause of men. Oh, look what they're doing over there. Oh, they're doing such great things. The question is this. How do people in the West, how do people in America view success? And I bet you're thinking about it right now. Success in America is big. Now, you look at this church. Now, you're going to look at this church. Now, this could be a, I'm not saying a mega church can't be solid in, in what they do. But because they're big does not mean that they're all in. Now, put on the next one. Now, this is a little Chinese church. Now, people would look at this at a little place. Compared with the other thing, it would look like this church is, is not as blessed. It would look like this church is not as as obedient and that sort of thing. But I will submit to you that these people are giving their all. Now, look, at we felt this. Did you feel this when we were meeting, when we were resisting meeting, and then we started to meet? We had no idea what was going to happen. We had no idea there's going to be a police department come up here and start messing with us. These people live with this. These people, and there are people all over the world live with this. Do they stop meeting? No, they do not. They continue to meet. So what is what is great in humans' eyes is a whole lot different than the way God sees. God sees much differently than we see. So God sees differently than men. Recall this. The remnant in Israel, the small group, did not follow the majority, and they stayed true to God's word. There was a remnant in this church that regardless of the stress of Jezebel, which we'll get to in just a moment, they stayed true to the faith. It must have been awfully hard for them. No compromise with the culture, no corruption. They, they were viewed with disdain by the masses. And how do you think they were looked at by the culture? How does the true church looked at by our culture today? A pain, a p- irritation, an irritant, a constant source of irritation to the world. Recall what Jesus said to the true church in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. We see the Beatitudes. What the Beatitudes are is how we, as, kingdom, as, as believers, live out the kingdom of God in this world. Now, we know that we're going to be different from this world. We know we're going to be in, in there's going to be a conflict between. Christians in the world because the, we, we wear different worldviews. It's a different kingdoms that are coming together. Our goal is to make advances into the kingdom of darkness and encourage people to come into the kingdom of light. So what does Jesus say in Matthew 5.13? He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. And what is salt? Salt is three things, seasoning, preservation, in irritation. Now, which, which one of those do you think we are predominantly doing in our world today? Hopefully, we're doing some seasoning. Hopefully, we're doing some pre- preserving. But I would say the overwhelming thing that we're doing to this world today is irritating them. We are irritating them. You know why I'm saying that? 
because the church is the last bastion of resistance against globalism. We are not for globalism. We are for the kingdom of God. We are for borders because God is for borders. We are not for a one-world government because mankind are corrupt and cannot govern themselves. So, Matthew 5.14 says this, You are the light of the world. What does that mean? People should see us as being different. And then what are we to do with this light? Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So this church had a lot of commendable things going for it. They even had those who stood up against the vast majority, a few in that church, who said, no, I will not compromise. No, I might be part of this church, but I am not following Jezebel. I'm not following all the sacrificial stuff. I am going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are people that are, that, that are saved in that church. Now, there are condemnation, is verse 20 through 23. What Jesus really, really doesn't like. Verse 20, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because, now, now watch this, you allow. Let that, let that just sink into you because he's talking to the body of believers here. You allowed this. You allowed this to happen in, in, in this church. You allowed that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Notice that the word usage, she calls herself that to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality, eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, oh, the mercy of God, of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, where are they going to go? Who buy into this? The great tribulation. Unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children, her offspring, the ones that she is reproducing to follow in their footsteps. They will die also. All the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Each one that comes through this successfully, they'll go to the Bema Seat judgment and receive rewards or loss of rewards. So, with this, this church's outward appearance looked great, but they were corrupt on the inside. They were actually rotting on the inside. Jezebel, I think, refers to a literal woman. Some people believe it's a system, but I think it seems to be a literal woman. And she had prophetic powers. Now, remember, when someone takes on the mantle of prophet, takes on the mantle of I'm the prophet or the prophetess, okay, what do they want? Power and control. Power and control was her game. Recall this. Biblical leadership is always male. Now, if you don't like that, go fight with God. Go fight with Jesus. Because in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Titus 1, 5 through 9, it gives the qualifications to be an elder in the church of Jesus Christ, and it's always male. It's always male. Now, we know we're living in a world system that that has been compromised because we have seen female pastors come to the, come to the forefront. It doesn't mean that it's right. Think about prophetic powers. Jezebel called herself a prophetess. Those who desire control call themselves prophets. Now, today, you are experiencing, or we are experiencing in America and in the West, Australia, some places in Europe, 
a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. We've talked about this before, where God is doing a new thing. He's raising up apostles and prophets like old, okay, like old. They have a word for God for you, and God is speaking to them for you. Now, let me ask you this. There are many today who claim to be prophets, have a word from God, but how many prophesied the COVID virus? Of all of them that are out there, remember, they usually have a word for you of prosperity. Oh, we're getting out of this. How many of these people have have said, COVID's going down, it's going down tonight, it's going down right now, I mean, it's going down, no more COVID. And here we are, we've got more COVID, you know, it's still going. No, no. So that's one. And how many predicted these, the civil unrest that we're seeing at this degree in our country, which we've never seen before? I lived in the 60s. Okay, I was in the 67 riots in Detroit. I lived in that area. It was terrible. But this has eclipsed that. This has gone into large cities. It has gone into smaller communities. And it has spread like wildfire, this unrest in our nation. We're living in a unique time. No one of these prophets, not one, predicted that this would happen in this manner. Not one. Out of all of them who claim to have prophetic insight from God. So be careful. Look, at the church's foundation was the apostles and the prophets, Jesus being what the chief cornerstone, and that's what the church was built on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And when you lay the foundation of the church, how many times is the foundation laid? We've heard this before. One time. And so we're being fitted in as stones into this building as believers. So Satan is a master at deception. He's a master at disguise. And he is a master at mind control. There's a Jezebel. Some people talk about a Jezebel spirit. Well, the scripture really doesn't mention per se a Jezebel spirit. But Jezebel, husband Ahab, was the king. She had massive influence over him, and she encouraged the worship of God with Baal, syncretism. It was bringing in a mishmash of all world, of the world religions at that time, just mixing them together. What do we see today as far as syncretism on the bumper stickers of many cars? Coexist. Coexist. Every religion is the same. Choose your own path. That is a lie. That is not true. That is not true. And when you say that, you are going counterculture, man. You are, you are running against a, a current, a current that is going in the opposite direction of you. But it's the truth. We have the truth that we have to give people. We cannot compromise it. We cannot compromise it. Jezebels always function outside of God's prescribed order of male headship, of male headship. Her actions were like the wife of Ahab in the mixing of worship. Jezebel in the church of Thyatira was teaching God's people to commit sexual immorality, to eat things sacrificed to idols, things that Satan would surely promote and that God detests. A question for you that you have to ask yourselves, where are the true believers in this church? Where are the Bereans who search the scriptures daily to see what Paul was saying was correct? You search the scriptures daily to make sure 
What I'm saying is correct. That is your responsibility. It's my responsibility right to divide the word. Where were they? Where were they? Remember, you allowed them in verse 20. She gained control because there weren't Bereans there. They were busy doing their works, and they were literate in Scripture. So you take the Scripture away from people, and you lose the ability to discern truth. When the Bible's out, Bereans will be out. You take the Bible out, there won't be Bereans there to search the Scriptures. And you will buy in to whatever the teacher says, the pastor says, the priest says, the pope says, or whoever it is. This was the church of the Dark Ages. Again, where there's no Bible, no Bible teaching, there will be no worship and in spirit and in truth, and deception pours in. Now, don't overlook the mercy of God in this. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent. Now, how many of us can say that God, over our lifetime, has given us time to repent? Now, I can say like a jillion, what's the largest number you can think of? A gillion, a, a septillion, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, many times, give me chances to repent. To repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. You know what the heart of God is? When you hear the truth, and you know the truth, God is long-suffering not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's his heart. God's cry to this church is to come out. Come out of the false world religions. Come out of the cults, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and the Moonies. Come out and repent. Change your mind and change your life and change your actions. And then he gave this giant warning in verse 22. I mean, it's like this overwhelming, like, warning, warning. For those who refuse to repent, they will go into the great tribulation. They'll be part of the one world religious system. They'll just blend with the rest of the world. Just blend with all the other world religions. Isn't that a tragedy? A tragedy. In verse 23, her children, the next generation who embrace this system, they will die. They're reproducing people that are going to die. God searches the minds and the hearts. He knows exactly what each person is thinking. But the good thing is that in this church, there were a few solid, faithful believers. And hopefully they can influence other people. And they will be judged at the Bema Seat judgment, and they'll receive rewards or loss of rewards. The majority of this church, caught up in the idolatry, will be judged at the great white throne judgment. And that is the judgment of the lost. Judge by what is written in the books, and their destiny, as sad, as sad as it can be, will be hell, the lake of fire, separated from God forever. God warns. He doesn't just say repent once. It's over and over and over in our lives. Repent, come out. Repent, come out. Repent, change. The exhortation to this church is verses 24 through 25. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira. So he's talking to believers and talking to the rest of them. As many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan as they say, haven't bought into the the rhetoric, I will put on you no other burden. Oh, this is what you do. Hold fast. Hold fast what you have till I come. That's what he's telling us today. The Spirit of God is telling us today in this world that is changing at rocket speed, hold fast. Don't cave. Stand firm. Be strong. 
That is what he's telling us to do. Within this deceived church was a faithful remnant. And don't underestimate the Jezebel influence. When you are in a system where the majority are buying into it, and the head of it has a lot of charismatic power, it is exceedingly difficult to stand against that pressure. Can you imagine a Jezebel has that kind of power, pressure, but yet these people stood. Folks, we can stand. We can stand against whatever pressure comes. Some held out. Some of these held out. Some in the church, that some in this church will go with Jesus in the rapture of the church. They're true believers. Hold fast till I come. There will be a few who will hold fast. Look at we are a few people here. A few people. In the in the whole of Battle Creek area, a few people hold fast. Hold fast to the word. Hold fast to the faith. The church of Thyatira will be one of the churches that's part of the one world religious system. And oh, how Satan has blinded the minds of people. This was the church of the dark ages. And he says, get out, get out as fast as you can get out. Verse 26 through 29, the promise. And then we'll be through. And he who overcomes, remember overcomers are what? Believers. He who overcomes and keeps my works, obeys what I'm saying until the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. I think this is Messiah, talking about Messiah. But you're going to see there's going to be delegated authority that God is going to be giving believers to rule in his, in his millennial kingdom. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father, I will give him. These are the overcomers, the morning star. And the morning star is Jesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's, the Holy Spirit is crying out to humanity. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This church's teachings was from the depths of Satan. And remember, he's a deceiver. He has many, many, many deceived. He's got the majority of the world deceived. Because remember... Every human is born into the kingdom of darkness and has to be extracted from the kingdom of darkness by Jesus Christ and put into the kingdom of light. That is how the whole, most people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. They don't, you know, but that's what God's word says. He's a deceiver. He has many deceived. And especially those who think they're really correct. People, a lot of people really believe what they believe and they think that they're right. The principle is this. A person can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. You got that right. Proverbs 14, 12, we said a million times, of the way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. The remedy for deception, folks, is the truth. What is taught in the Word of God. In this church, the Word of God was minimized, and they became fodder for deception. Remember, what is truth? You're living in postmodern America where everybody has their own truth. Oh, I'm embracing this, and I'm embracing this, and the progressives had this, and postmodernism, you just make it up as you go. But the Scripture gives us some things that truth are. It says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. No one comes unto the Father except by me. What is Jesus saying there? There's no way to God except through him. 
So in Matthew, it says that it's a narrow gate, it's a narrow way. But let me suggest to you that the narrow way is the Jesus way, but it's wide open to anyone who will come. We've said this a lot of times. And he says the Holy Spirit of truth in John 14, 17. And then Jesus said in John 17, 7, thy word is truth. You can trust the word of God. You can. Those who are faithful will be rewarded. And remember this. Is God a stingy rewarder? No, Mr. Gourmet. No. God is a generous rewarder. Generous rewarder. Make no mistake, Jesus Christ is the king. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is in control. This thing is going to work out just the way he said it's going to work out. The characteristic of God is generous sharing. Jesus will give faithful believers rulership. Can you imagine this? He shall rule with a rod of iron. Again, Messiah is going to designate rulership to us. I mean, get ready. We're going to be ruling. All of us who are, are, are reticent to do, do, do much of any, you're going to be ruling areas. You're going to be making decisions. Do you think you need to be changed? Yes, we need to be glorified. You can't put me in those positions now. I'm too corrupt. I have to be, I have to be changed. Yes, faithful rulership. And then listen to this, verse 26. He says, keep my works to the end. What is that? I think that means obey him. In John 6, 29, the work of God is this, that you believe in him whom he sent. The work of God is to believe in his son. Remember, we're not saved by works. If he's, he's telling the Pharisees who wanted to do some sort of work, okay, if you want to do a work, just believe in me. Believe in me. Just believe in me. Continue to believe in me. The promised overcomers, the true believers, they're going to rule. What made you an overcomer? Was it your strength? Is it your power? Oh, no, it's the Spirit of God in you allowing you to do something supernatural. It is supernatural when we act against our flesh. It is supernatural when we stand, when we know I have no right standing because normally I'd be scared to death. It is the Spirit of God. What is he, Donald Barnhouse? The, what is he, the rod of iron up your spine that allows you to stand? That is right. God's promise to those who believe. I will give him the morning star. That is Jesus forever. Revelation 22, 16 tells us who the morning star is, tells us what this symbolism is. Jesus is the morning star. In eternity with our Lord. Think about it. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is our great reward. Everybody's talking about streets of gold and mansions in heaven. Look, it's Jesus is the treasure. And as a matter of fact, let's just say that. Jesus is the treasure. Thank you. This is an amazing promise. And then the Spirit says, what does the Spirit say? He who has an ear, oh, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Hear what I am saying. Closing, letter to Thyatira, the corrupt, corrupt church. Remember, it's a, a shortfall from compromise to corruption. And Satan really wants you to be compromised and corrupt. I mean, you realize that. I, I, I know you do. One of his tools, one of his deception tools is doubt. Now, we have talked about this before. Doubt corrupting the way that you think about God. Now, that can happen when you get under enormous stress. We've had a virus. We have riots. We have now tension in our homes and our families because now we have people together who aren't normally together that much. Okay, really? And that's creating some tension. 
There's there's more there's more uh, abuse that's going on in, in homes. There's more alcohol consumption now that has gone up off the charts. There are bad things that are happening in homes. So he wants us to doubt God. Now, let me, we've been through this before, but I want you to hear this. When you begin to doubt, and it can happen to anybody, you get the right stress at the wrong time, and any of us can go down that, is this real road? Is this all, you know, if you start to go down that road, take a hard stop and go back to the basics. Jesus really did live on this earth. Historically proven by non-Christian historians. He really did miracles only Messiah could do, documented by non-Christian historians, and could not be refuted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees who hated his guts. They confirmed what he did. They confirmed what he did. And think about this. Jesus really did die on a cross. This is history. They... they People all are in agreement with this. He was really buried in a rich man's tomb, just like the Bible said. He didn't get cast into the into a field. He wasn't th- well, the other two. The other two guys that were crucified with him, they threw them in some common grave. They didn't with Jesus because it was prophesied that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, and he was. And guess what? On Resurrection Sunday, who was in the tomb? No one, it was empty. The tomb was empty. And he, just like he said, he would resurrect. And he was seen by over 500 people at one time in Galilee. He was seen by the women. He was seen by his disciples. And he was even seen by the, the, the guy who was known as Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He wasn't there on the first week when Jesus appeared in the upper room with, to all the other disciples. And the other disciples says, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. And he goes, no. No, I didn't. You know, I won't believe unless I put my hand on his side and hand on his wrist. And the next week, that happened. And what did Thomas say when he stuck his hand on his side? He felt the prince in his arm. He goes, "My Lord and my God." And Jesus said, "Oh, you've you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and believed." Thomas, you've seen, but blessed are that's us. That's us. Jesus is telling us what to expect before his return, things that are going to happen just before his return. And you can go on and on, but remember, the truth is contained in this word. This is real. When you start to doubt, just go back to the very basics, and you'll come out of it believing. Great news for all of us. Jesus' desire for anyone caught in this system of deception, when the truth is revealed, come out. Leave that group of people and come out. In the midst of rampant compromise and corruption, what does Jesus expect of you? Now, that's us living today. There's four things he's going to expect of us. Four things. Number one, Jesus expects his followers to know what the truth is, to know what it is. Hear the words of Jesus in John 8, 31 and 32. He said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the Truth, and the truth will make you free. Good job. You can, yeah, great job. That's number one. Number, th- number two thing that Jesus expects. He expects you to abide in his word. Make your home in his word. Now, test question for all of you Bible students. Get ready. That word abide in the Greek is meno. That's right. Not minnow. Meno. 
Men no make your home in Jesus. Make your home in Jesus. Jesus expects you to spend time with him. This is an expectation of someone that you love. You spend time with them. Don't tell your wife, I love you, and don't spend any time with her. Or, or conversely, wife with husband. We spend time together. We spend time together. So that, that's number three. Spend time with Jesus. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. Spend time with Jesus. There's no substitute. No substitute. Otherwise, the world will overwhelm you. Abiders will not be compromised. Abiders will not be corrupt. If you're abiding in this word, this will not happen to you. And if you're abiding in this word, you're really making your home in there, you will not be a doubter. I don't care what happens to you. If you are spending time with Jesus, you will not go down that road. Anytime I've gone into doubt is when I've drifted. Doubt and drifting go together. Jesus expects you to listen for the voice of your shepherd. And he's speaking to each one of us today. Hold on. We're almost done. I know it. I have to confess. Chris told me to wear a short sleeve shirt and no undershirt. And I says, but I'm freezing, and it's going to be really cold in there. And now, for the second week in a row, I wish I would have listened to my bride. Yes. Yeah. We'll see what happens next week to Mr. Thickskull. Yes. Yes. So Jesus expects you to listen to the voice of your shepherd. We've said this so many times, John 10, 27. What does Jesus say? My sheep. That's possessive, isn't it? My sheep hear my voice. And what do they do? They follow me. You want to know if you're a real believer? You hear the voice of Jesus, and it overcomes the voice of the world, and you immediately follow the, sh the shepherd. You immediately turn to him. That is how you know you're a real believer. In the midst of chaos, be comforted by your shepherd. Everything is progressing on schedule. Even though we, we think it's all chaotic, it's progressing on schedule. You know what the next thing is on, on, on our prophetic calendar for us? It's the rapture of the church. Folks, we're going to, Jesus is coming. He's coming to take us out of here. It's a rescue mission. Do you think we're going to need to be rescued the way things are going? We need to be rescued. And our shepherd, our bridegroom, is coming for us, and he's going to rescue us. Things are progressing. Jesus Messiah is coming. The chaos of our time. What are we to do in the chaos of our time? Take a moment. Take a fast from TV. I mean, we've reached a point we can't take it anymore. So we have to kind of back off. I can't hear this anymore about the cities imploding. And if I hear something else about the COVID, I'm just, ugh. <laughs> Take a fast. Yeah. If you will still your spirit for a moment. You cannot still your spirit if you're connected to that tube. You cannot still your spirit if you get this thing out every five seconds and looking at it. You must take a fast from technology. Right, Phil? Amen. Amen. That's right. We talked about this. Still your spirit. Jesus is coming. If you spill your fill your spirit, still your spirit. Let me try this King's English. Still your spirit. Now listen to this. Still your spirit. Be quiet. You can almost hear the footsteps of Messiah.
He's coming. Things are unfolding just as, we, just as he said they would. Can you hear his feet? He's coming for us. He's coming for you. You know why he's coming for you? Because he loves you. He's going to take you out of this mess, this corruption. He's taking you to Father's house. Jesus is coming, folks, and all will be well. You can count on that. Jesus never, ever, ever lied to us. Never. He always tells us the truth. Last scripture, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? More misery? What are they doing in this city? How many people have COVID over here? What's happened to my job? My big thing is what's happened to my 401k. Ah! It shows you, you know, just being real. What are we looking for? Titus 2.12, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, to rescue us, to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords on this earth. In the chaos, hear King David's words in Psalm 141.8, but my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord, in you I take refuge. Not in this world, in you I take refuge, in you I find my peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to study the precious Word of God. Thank you for the church of Thyatira and what it has taught us. And thank you for those overcomers there, that you had a faithful group within that difficult situation who came through it. And, oh, they're going to be at the Bema Seat judgment. They're going to be rewarded for what they have done. Thank you, God, that your spirit allowed them to stand like it allows us to stand today. It is not our great strength. We bring nothing. It's always you working through us. It is your power as we release our lives to you. Oh, God, may we do that today. Let every fear and every anxiety and every worry just drain out of us. And may we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. My Jesus is coming for me. Just say that to yourself. He's coming for me to rescue me. Hold on. Hold on. You can almost hear the footsteps of Messiah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.